We knew that people thought crypto was a scam. So why would they say you're crazy? Is it just because it's a thousand dollars or wanting to own a monkey JPEG? Well, great question, actually. And today we're cracking the code on a digital revolution that's rewriting the rules of ownership. NFT. NFT. Non-fungible tokens or NFTs. $69.3 million. NFTs are about much more than viral hype. Who better to guide us through this new technology than Steve Kaczynski, co-author of the new book, The Everything Token. Steve, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Really excited to finally do this. We've hung out in person. We spoke on a panel together at VCon, and now we're here. I know. I'm so excited. Now, Steve, let's be honest, right? When most people hear the word NFT, they think overpriced monkey JPEGs and internet hype. But your book, right, explodes that myth and is actually claiming that NFTs are much more than that. So to start, tell us what's the real deal behind these digital tokens. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because, and it's funny because most people you talk to think of NFTs as these overpriced monkey pictures, exactly as you said. And that's actually why, you know, I'll, I'll get an answer to your question, but that's why we started the actual book with a picture of a monkey JPEG and actually met the readers where they are. It's kind of funny when we were working with our editor and our publisher, they made the point that you can't just expect people to walk in the door and say, we trust you, we believe you, that these things are sort of this next iteration, this incredibly powerful multi-purpose software. You need to explain it to them from where they are. So we start off with the premise of how ridiculous it sounds that, you know, Yuga Labs, a company that their primary product at the time was Monkey Pictures, uh, got a $450 million fundraising round at a multi-billion dollar valuation. And, you know, the goal is we bring the reader along from that into explaining all the concepts of sort of blockchain, Web3, NFTs. Because, you know, the way we see it, it is a very powerful general purpose technology that um, essentially gives the idea of digital property rights. Um, to, to use an example that I've used many times, but I think it's really great, the Adam Hollander example, uh, who's a finance friend of mine, he always says, you know, imagine you go to a museum and you see a beautiful painting on the wall. You can take a picture of that painting, but that picture is not worth anything at all, right? It's just on your phone. Yeah. You can buy a print in the gift shop. It's not worth much more than the paper it's printed on. The reason why the painting is worth so much money is because it's the original. The museum owns it, and they can prove both of those things. And up until recently, you couldn't do that without digital collectibles. So long story short, with anything digital, whether it's an image, a media file, et cetera, being able to prove ownership creates property rights and property rights create markets. You know, I couldn't sell you my house without proving I own it. I couldn't sell a car without proving I own it. Being able to prove you own a digital collectible is interesting. And then, as I'm sure we'll talk plenty about, you can then program on top of it because it's software. So instead of just being a piece of paper, a ticket, et cetera, it's actually something that you can program in perpetuity because it's a digital item. So we basically explain how this works for businesses, how this works for consumers, and why the blockchain is incredibly powerful and sort of the next iteration of the internet. I love to the title, you know, um, the everything token. Why did you go with this title? Well, it's not only the title, the everything token, how NFTs and Web3 will transform the way we buy, sell and create. But why did you call it the everything token? Is it really everything? Yeah, well, that's again, that's a really good question that, um, you know, not a lot of people have asked us. And the truth is, we we went through days, weeks, months of title brainstorming. Like, hey, we need to think of a title. Uh, I listened to an episode of um, Tim Ferriss that had James Clear on it, who wrote Atomic Habits, about like, how do you title a book? What does that look like? 
And it's funny, like, as we were talking to our publisher, incredibly smart, you know, we were lucky to work with Penguin Publishing, one of the world's premier business publishers, and our uh, our publisher has published all these great books, our editor has edited all these great books. They said, well, you know, just make it really understandable, because the target of this is, I mean, anybody can read it, but, like, we want non-blockchain native people to pick it up and understand it. And they were like, so what problem does Web3, do Web3 and NFTs solve? And we kept coming up, and we're like, well, it solves loyalty, and it solves ticketing, and it solves digital ownership, and it solves, you know, titles, and it solves credentials. We kept going down these lists of, like, multi-billion dollar industries and music and entertainment and this. We're like, it kind of is a new solution for everything. And we sat there, and we're like, well, what about that? Like, what about the everything token? And our editor and us kind of all looked at each other and sort of agreed, and we're like, I guess it kind of fits because we had written most of the text at that point, and when you went through, it was like, all these different industries. So we ended up settling on the NFT everything token because we really think just like the internet changed everything, just as even social media and the ability to communicate back and forth changed everything, we think that Web3 and NFTs will change everything. And I want to preface this. So I got I got a, an advanced copy. Thank you, Stephen. I loved what you wrote here. I did a little video the other day for social, um, obviously, because you mentioned me, which... Which I have to say, it was like, oh my god, this is the beginning of my 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 start, my start. Even though I've been here for a while, but I do want to show, you know, this is my my PFP, you know, and I do want to congratulate you because you said it here. This really is for that person who does not understand what an NFT is, and I will say, having been in the space for three years. I still get asked a lot of the questions you guys start your chapters with, and I was like. Okay, they really dissect what I think you were probably being asked. You could do a question from friends and family. What I was being asked, you know, explain this. Can you, what about this? But what about houses? Okay, but can't I do this with, you know, X, Y, Z? Um, and I love that it's so simple. It really is very simple. Like I was reading it, but it wasn't so technical where I felt like I have to put this down. I got to go do something else. It's really simple. And you give those concrete examples that I think a lot of people still don't understand. So congratulations on that alone, because I can't imagine like it's hard for me to do that in 60 seconds for like a short TikTok clip. But in a book this way and what I also loved and because I, I, I just want to give you your praise right now because we we're talking about how simplified this is. I love that within each chapter, two, you have like I don't know what you want to call them, but like mini Sorry, I'm not in the I'm not in the frame here. Many other chapters or you know what I mean? Like so it's it's also easy on the eyes as well. So I wanted to tell you that. Um all this to say, I do want to get to maybe like your journey with NFTs. Like how did you first hear about NFTs before you even got to writing this book, before even thinking about writing this? What was your journey like? Give us the, you know, the the TLDR of your journey into NFTs. Do you remember what year that was? Hey there, I'm noticing that a lot of you are watching my content, but you're not subscribing to the channel. So let's please take this moment to like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you never miss an episode. This not only helps the YouTube algorithm know that you love this type of content, but it also helps amplify me, the creator, to be able to bring on bigger and better guests. Let's please take this moment to like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell. Thank you so much. I do, I do. First of all, thanks for the kind words. We could definitely dig into that. But my, my journey into NFTs 
really was, um, you know, I've always been a tech savvy guy. So like, I've always been really into tech. I've always been early to tech. And I've actually always been told by a lot of people that I'm not, uh, that I I'm wrong when I'm early to tech, right? Wrong when I was early to the internet, wrong when I was early to social media. Like, and then of course these crypto, even that. And of course these things suss out over time and you end up realizing, wait a minute, like, because I am, it's not that I'm smarter than everybody else or anything, because I have this hyper interest in this very niche area, it has helped me sort of see around the corner a little more when it came to tech, right? Like, if you ask me the next thing coming with cars, I couldn't tell you, right? But I could tell you in general tech or, you know, it's just an industry I've had interest in. And so in sort of like late 2020, early 2021, I discovered uh, NBA Top Shot. It's, it's a similar story to a lot of people. I'm into sports. It was a collectible. And you know, it takes one glance at my dad's baseball card collection to know that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I like to collect things, you know, and, you know, if anybody's watching, you know, on the video and sees the background of my, you know, house <laughs> like here that I have very clear, I'm a collector. And so, you know, NBA Top Shot resonated with me. Um, the first item I uh, moment I collected, a Jarrett Allen Block. He's my brother's favorite player. And I was like, hey, that's pretty fun. And then I started Googling what NFTs actually were. And what I realized pretty quickly was that, you know, this is built on the blockchain, something I've been really excited about for years. In fact, in 2018, I used to whiteboard for my team at the time at Progressive, where I was working, why I thought Ethereum was a really cool technology because you could build businesses like on top of Bitcoin is how I explained it to them. It's a very simplified explanation, but I would explain these smart contract concepts. Well, now NFTs were effectively, and while Top Shot's on the Flow blockchain, NFTs were effectively a business built on the Ethereum blockchain through smart contracts. And once I read that, I got really interesting and interested in something clicked. And so, you know, I from that moment on, probably early 2021, I learned everything I could about this technology, just like I had with the internet previously when I was coding websites in sixth grade and just like everything else. Um, soon enough, within nine months, I co-authored the first Harvard Business Review article about NFTs with Scott, who I co-authored this book with. And that was in September of 2021. And it's sort of been off to the races since. My, my whole theory on it was I'm always related to technology. I never do anything about it. Uh, I've been in the workforce for about 15 years at this point. And I thought to myself, you know what? At 38, let's start a whole new career. Try this entrepreneurship thing. Two kids, dog, wife, see what happens. I love that story. Now, is so you, you actually own one of the board ape yacht club nfts was that the first nft you ever bought or was it this uh nba top shop so the nba top shot was the first uh, official nft i bought which was really simple credit card all that noise and then when i started learning more i got a metamask set up because like kings of leon or someone was dropping something i didn't end up getting the kings of leon nft but it was like a big deal and they taught people how to do metamasks um my first nft i bought or minted i should say was an art blocks. I was actually listening to a Kevin Rose podcast and he had Snowfro on and it was called Galaxis and it's these little planets. And that was actually a really big moment for me. So it's funny you ask about that because this moment when I minted that Ethereum NFT, it's like this planet and the clouds are different and the planets are different and the time of day is different and sometimes some have planes and some have helicopters. And I had this moment in time where I'm like, this is the only, I mean, non-fungible, this is the only one of these that exists. I mean, the same way you wouldn't trade out your dog for another dog, right? Dogs are non-fungible. This Galaxis planet was completely non-fungible. It was mine. Nobody had anything like it. There would never be another one that existed in the world like it. So got really excited. That was the first one I bought. Minted a V-Friend actually before I had a Board API Club as well. And then ended up buying a Board API Club around that 0.3 Ethereum floor price, which 
Imagine explaining to your friends and family in May of 2021, you bought a digital monkey picture for $1,000. It seemed crazy, but uh, it's played out pretty well. So what did your friends and family say when, when you did tell them, look, I bought this monkey JPEG that you're seeing online? Like, what was that reaction like? I love to go back in time with my guests to kind of get that feel so other people who are joining in on this conversation get to understand where we all were in 2021. Yeah, this is one of those moments where it requires conviction. Because <laughs> when you buy this picture, so I have a monkey with a spinner hat and a stunt jacket um, that I paid $1,000 for. $1,000 for this monkey. And the reason I did it and I explained to people was all of these wonderful people from around the world, Josh Ong, who was a journalist who knew a lot about crypto, Chris Jordan, who I now host a podcast with, who was incredibly savvy in business and incredibly savvy at you know uh, fantasy sports and gambling, uh, Baron Von Hustle, an amazing community builder. All these people one day flipped over their pictures to this profile picture. It was the first thing I saw. Um, and all of these people I looked up to and I, I really enjoyed learning from were joining this club. And I said, well, I want to be part of that club. And... What I tried to explain to people is I, I explained to people the decentralized nature of the club. It was like you were part of something. It was like rooting for a sports team. It was like your favorite sports team became Board Ape Yacht Club. You're rooting for them to succeed. And it was never about the money or the floor or anything like that. What it was about was, you know, being part of that journey with them. And what was funny about it was initially, you know, people looked at me and said, um, you know, $1,000 for a monkey JPEG, you're crazy, right? And, and they told that. They told my wife she was crazy. My wife is the most supportive person on planet Earth. So she was always like, he knows what he's doing. Why he would they say you're crazy? Is it just because it's $1,000? Like, what was it that was crazy? Spending that type of money or wanting to own a monkey JPEG? Well, great question, actually. And so the reason I was crazy is their mind was, well, I can just right click and save that. Um, mm. To which I've explained to my friends, like I have a friend who has a very nice Tesla before they had the cheat model. And I said, well, you own a Tesla. They said, yeah. I was like, I just took a picture of your Tesla. Can I use it? And they're like, well, well, no, like you can't just use my Tesla. I'm like, right. This is an access pass. And it wasn't until, well, first the floor started going up and suddenly it was worth like $5,000. And they were like, well, of course you're going to sell this thing now. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't think so. Um, and then once I went to the first eight fest, which was in uh, November of 2021, once I went to that first eight fest, which like they, they had, they, you had, they had this giant warehouse party and they had surprise performances from Chris Rock and Aziz Ansari and the strokes and little baby and, Beck and like these big like acts and, and everything right and all of a sudden like I had video of this thing and the only way I could get in was, was the access passage was that image and that was when it started to click for a lot of my friends that oh so this monkey picture you have is tied to an actual record a digital record and if I show someone that monkey picture they don't let me in the door but if you have that digital record proving you own it you get in the door and I was like yes and that's when it started to click for a lot of my friends not all of them um but it was funny. It kind of went from, oh, my God, are you going to sell this thing? Why would you buy this thing to, wait, how do I get into this thing? Which was sort of a turning point for a lot of my friends, which tend to be on the more tech savvy side. But it was once they saw the access pass aspect of it. And then I started explaining to them, you know, as the book says, you can do everything with it. You can build any software application. And that's when it started to click for at least a lot of my friends and family. What sparked your interest in actually getting to the point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to be this person in this space, along with Scott. You know, Scott's not here today, but along with Scott, you both decide we're going to write this book. Like, what was it that you were like, it's on my shoulders? 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, it's really interesting. Um, When we wrote the first Harvard Business Review article about NFTs, like, we knew that people in Web3 would be stoked about it. Because, like, look, NFTs, Web3, Picture to Board Apes on Harvard Business Review. And if, if people don't, aren't familiar with Harvard Business Review, it's effectively, like, the sort of premier uh, publication that when I was at Progressive and Nestle, if we did an off-site training, you would have, like, photocopied pictures of the Harvard Business Review, pictures and pre-reads from Harvard Business Review, because they're like, this is the sussed out best stuff that's sort of the ideas that are ahead of the, the curve, right? And so we knew Web3 would be excited about it. What I think we didn't anticipate was that, you know, the non-traditional business, non-traditional, non-NFT people, so non-blockchain people, all of a sudden, like people who were business leaders, people who were leaders in media would read this thing and say, oh, this kind of explains that this is not just some passing fad and this software makes sense. So we had that in one hand. And in the other hand, Scott and I were going around doing consulting, talking to large companies, largest agencies in the world, et cetera. And we would hear them say, okay, this is great, but we need more information. They'd be asking us questions. And certainly we couldn't clone ourselves. At least the technology doesn't exist as of today. So we couldn't clone ourselves to kind of talk to all these people about this technology. And we thought to ourselves, okay, there's a book here. It seems like there's an extension of this sort of article here. We're starting to gain interest. And so for us, we're like, okay, we could play the small part in moving this technology a little bit forward and being able to give people something they can hand to their friends and family. And that's why it was so critical. You know, you made that point earlier that it doesn't, you don't have to be crypto native. You don't even have to know what Bitcoin is to understand this book, the bite sized nature of it. We went through iterations of different types of books that we read to say like, okay, we want it to be really bite-sized and easy. And our editor had no background in Web3 or NFTs because we want to make sure it was clear and understandable. And so we kind of took it as like almost a calling to say, people responded to the HBR article. When we do consulting, people start to come around and say, okay, this stuff makes a little more sense. Maybe we should write a book so that we could scale ourselves and sort of, because I mean, what a book is, is, you know, like you said, like these are my ideas and Scott's ideas just transported forever to people who read about them. So we thought maybe that's the best way to scale it and try to educate the masses on this technology. How do you debunk the common misconceptions surrounding NFTs as those monkey JPEG pictures? And I like what you said there, the right-click save. I forgot about that one. See, that's an oldie, but a goodie. Um, Obviously, in the book, you're debunking, but what do you typically tell those businesses? What were you telling those businesses? Like, how did you simplify what the NFT could do for them and what, what an NFT is? Well, I mean, for starters, like, I, I always love that Hollander explanation I did earlier. So that's a, usually what I kick through the door with. Um, but then there's a couple things. Like, one, um, you know, you'll see in the book early on, like, one of the things that our competitive advantage we had from this consulting we were doing is we knew what the hits were. We knew that people thought crypto was a scam. So on page nine, there is a title that says, but wait, aren't NFTs tied to cryptocurrency and isn't cryptocurrency a big scam? You know, we know that people say, well, there's no such thing as infallible proof of digital ownership. Infallible doesn't exist. An IT guy, a programmatic guy. So we address, this is how it works and this is how it makes it provably digital. But the way we would do it early on and the way we try to do it in the book as well is... I always want to give a range of examples to meet people where they are. So if I'm talking to a company that maybe does access pass or ticketing of some sort, well, then I'm going to talk about the ticketing example and how NFTs efficiently help you not have ticket scams, uh, how they can make it provably ownable, how tickets can then turn into 
community building and gamified, you know, a local bar could say everybody who went to a game can get 15% off a drink here uh, if you went to the game because you can prove you own your ticket. So it might be that. Or, you know, I might use a music example for a friend who likes entertainment. Uh, for people who run great loyalty programs, I can use Starbucks Odyssey as an example where they use blockchain to do a next generation loyalty program. Even insurance companies. I mean, if someone has a digital identity and insurance companies work across big data, the fact that they could potentially look into someone's digital identity and understand more about them, well, they could more efficiently price them from an insurance perspective. So in any industry, you can sort of meet them where you are because the truth is once people start like opening their eyes up to the fact that, yes, there was an over-financialization, yes, there obviously are scams just like any early industry, but it is a better software solution for your business. You can sort of explain to anybody where it would apply to their business, why it's a better solution. And that's sort of how I tended to get businesses there is I would think about them specifically, like if you're Nestle, if you're Progressive, if you're Starbucks, like how do you explain it to them in the context of their business? Because at the end of the day, it's all about that famous radio station, WIIFM. What's in it for me? I love that. So what's the core value proposition of NFTs that, you explain to people because, you know, I, I try to explain to my friends, well, you know what? I think, you know, someone like Taylor Swift could benefit from having NFTs. And what I always hear is, well, what's in it for them? Or like, why? Like, what do they care? They're on Instagram. They're they're on Facebook. What do they care about their their customers and what they're doing? What's what's your response to that? Because I'm like, well, what do you mean? Everyone should care about where their customers are coming from. But you know, how do you answer that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things. I think one, the idea that digital ownership creates an aligned incentive structure. So if I own a Taylor Swift NFT and Taylor Swift adds value to that NFT, then that NFT becomes worth more. Like if she gives access past backstage access or free merchandise or discount of merchandise or even the opportunity to buy limited things, the opportunity to win a Taylor Swift guitar pick from her you know, concert, a guitar from her concert by owning these NFTs, it raises the value. Well, every time that's sold, she makes a royalty in perpetuity. So for her, it's sort of worth her while and rewarding her best fans. So it's sort of this aligned incentive structure where the fan wins and the and the uh, the sort of artist wins. But the other thing is like right now, you know, can Drake tell you who his top fans are? Probably not, right? But in a world with digital collectibles, you could at least identify the wallet with the most supportive fans in the world for anybody mr beast could he tell you who his top fans are probably not but in a world with nfts he could probably look in and say who owns the most or the highest who's the most actively engaged and sort of tie it to that account so i think that active uh, ability to reward your sort of collectors reward your community while also rewarding yourself and getting better data i think that's important for any business or any uh any person so to me like that one's sort of this no-brainer that companies can apply it but I just think the flexibility of the technology, which is, you know, a whole nother, you know, ball of wax, but the flexibility of the technology, it's sort of like, you know, the, one of the examples I, I, I love is when you look at sort of the the early to mid 90s internet, it was clunky, it was dial up, it was hard to use and the technology improved and now everybody can use it. I think a lot of people look at NFTs and the technology and the difficulty of it now and say, why would anybody use this when I have these easier solutions? But of course, you know, the technology curve is always going to improve and those are uh, those opportunities are going to increase for businesses as time goes on. It's so interesting because, you know, the more we're speaking here, the more we're talking. And it's true that you, you mentioned this in the book a lot. And I think that's why I appreciate it so much is we're talking about the tech. Can you maybe give us 
a few examples of what this technology is, because you're right. I think a lot of people, they just look at the image like, okay, well, okay, access pass. So what? But it goes beyond that, right? It, it, it's like the blockchain technology, the technology behind it. So why don't you give us like a few pointers as to how this technology is actually the future and not the internet of the 90s? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I mean, just simple consumer uh, advantages. So I'll give a few examples uh, at a high level. Um, healthcare is one of my favorite, most boring examples, right? Where anybody who changes healthcare providers, at least in the United States, it is a pain. You have to go, you have to fill out a bunch of forms, you have to get your data. Sometimes the hospital systems don't talk to each other. Well, in a world where it all exists on blockchain, obviously privatized for personal information, but a blockchain, you simply sign a couple buttons on your phone and the, in, in, the information transfers over. They can then access more big data through that. And that big data can potentially give you to detect things earlier and to uh, understand more of what's going on there. But beyond that, like you talk about the consumer advantage, right now people swab their mouths, they send it to 23andMe and 23andMe charges you an arm and a leg. And then they on the back end sell your data, right? To other companies. Well, imagine a world where it's on the blockchain where, and there are companies working this, you swab your mouth, your information is in a privatized blockchain. And you can actually press a button to opt into studies that simply and monetize your own health data. Um, you can monetize your own advertising data, right? So that's an example of like a consumer industry that doesn't that people have. Um, applying for jobs, right? I mean, right now, how can you verify? Someone just puts something on LinkedIn and it's there. But imagine where work credentials are on the blockchain, where you know you started a company, it's in the blockchain, so infallible proof that you work there. And when you your end date goes, it just automatically is in there right as your last day because they just close off the access on the blockchain. And when you apply for a job, you press a button and it auto-populates on one system, right? It's ease of use. It's work data. But that may sound great in the United States as a convenience. Imagine that in a country that's a developing world country where you have a teaching degree that is verified on the blockchain and you go to another country because maybe there's unrest. Well, in a world of blockchain, you can bring your money digitally so you don't have to just get all the physical items you can. You can bring your degrees and your information and your education. So you don't start over when you get there. You simply use the blockchain to use its borderless nature to then communicate and go there. So, um, you know, that's a more, you know, example that I think we take for granted in developed worlds where we have currency that is consistently valuable. We have, you know, the ability to prove things through those records, but it doesn't exist like that everywhere. So that's a high level. Um, last example I'll give is like a small business example where, you know, the idea that right now you have to put this cocktail of technologies together to do various things. So you have one vendor for this, one vendor for this, one vendor for this, and the blockchain technology can actually bring that all together with NFT. So example we use in the book, donut shop picking a new flavor of donut. Like if you're trying to pick a new flavor of donut in the donut shop, you might want to get your customers to vote on it and say, everybody who votes on it will get a free donut. Well, look at it this way. Like if I want to game the system and get a bunch of free donuts, I could set up a gazillion email addresses, vote. It's hard, you know, a bunch of accounts. Well, if you have the blockchain, you could have one person who owns the NFT getting one vote, right? And then you could say everybody who voted at all on the new donut gets a free one. Everyone who voted at all on the, uh, on the flavor, you know, even if it didn't win, they can get one half off. So buy one, get one. Right. And then let's say you want to throw a party, right? Well, you could use the same NFT as a ticket because flexibly it lets you vote on it. It's going to let you give a coupon for it. It's going to work as a ticket to get you in. And it's going to verify that you got your donut. So like the idea of it being like one flexible technology versus right now that donut business has a punch card and collects emails and tries to get reach people that way. Um, you know, it, it, it sort of solves a bunch of problems in one. It's sort of like the internet. Yes, 
Were there ways to do things before the internet or before cell phones? Absolutely. But having everything in the palm of your hand in a cell phone makes it a more elegant and flexible technology. The blockchain is very much the same where it's an elegant and flexible technology for that's three applications, but there's a variety of things you can do with this individual token. You know, I was going through the book and and I and I hear you say this all the time on your show in the morning, Coffee with Captain. For those of you who don't know, you can come find him on X um, every morning at 8 a.m. They're there every day. They don't miss a day ever. But um, I wanted you to also touch touch on this. And I love that you you keep mentioning this, that you don't even think that the term NFT is going to be around in the next five, 10 years, just like. Um, you always mentioned MP3. So why don't you talk to us about that? Because I know for a lot of people, just the term itself, NFT, first of all, bans me on TikTok, but blocks people from even wanting to start learning about it because they heard the word. They're like, no, this is not good. And then they move on. Um, talk to us about how you think this may this word may not exist in the next, you know, decade yeah, that's a great a great one. And and I actually forgot about that particular part of the book because we've been covering so many other ones. <laughs> um, but it is true. It's look, I mean, you, you said it yourself with the MP3 example, right? I mean, we don't say MP3 anymore. If you just listen to Spotify, you listen to music, and an M MP3 is just powering uh the actual music that you listen to. A similar analogy would be when you go to a a, a football game or a basketball game, you don't say, wait, let me go grab my QR code. You say let me grab my ticket. The QR code is the technology that powers the ticket to make it work. Very much the same, I think, with NFTs, right? When you have a digital sort of skin in, say, uh, Roblox, for example, right now it's, it's obviously not on the blockchain, but when my kids buy a particular skin in Roblox or they buy a skin in, uh, in Fortnite, they don't say, oh my God, that's going to be an NFT when they get it. They're just going to say, oh, I got the John Wick skin or I got the uh you know spider-man skin right the ninja turtle skin that's the way they're going to look at it it's just going to happen to be an nft and i think a lot of people like get caught up on that word because it does have some baggage attached to it absolutely but i think ultimately long term people will just say even in the nft world oh you have a board ape you have a doodle you have a v friend they're not going to be like oh it's an nft they're just going to know that it's a part of a powerful global community I love that you mentioned your kids because I have a lot of friends who have young kids and the number one thing they tell me is, you know, I don't want this technology for my kids. I don't want my kids to live in the metaverse. I don't want this. I don't want that. Um, what I always hear from you and your stories is that your your kids are already pretty much in it. You know, whether we want them to be or not, they're pretty much online and they know how things work, dare I say, even before we do, right? Like it's just so intuitive for them. So talk to us, you know, tell us about, basically my question is, what would you tell these parents who, you know, are very fearful of the internet, the metaverse, all this new technology? What would you tell them? Like, I tell my parents all the time, like, well, look at you. You used to tell me, don't put your credit card online. Now they're all shopping on Amazon, right? So um, what would you tell parents who are fearful for, you know, this new technology? Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I think we look at the, the, uh, the way technology has evolved and it is inarguable that to me, there's going to be some form of metaverse activity as our kids grow up. And one of the analogies I use is, is video games. You know, when I was a kid, you never saw a grown up playing video game unless it was like Tetris or Dr. Mario, right? Nobody played like video game, video games. But then my generation, I'm, I'm 40 years old right now, grew up playing video games. 
And as we grew up playing those video games, uh, we aged into them. So now, like, people my age squat up and play Call of Duty, Halo, Fortnite, like, you name it. Very similarly, when my kids come home, their consumer behavior is they come home, they call their friends, and then they play Roblox. They play Minecraft. They play Among Us. They play all these immersive games where they're immersed in worlds. They use, you know, I, I, you know, I see that you have an Oculus behind you. My son uses Oculus. He plays Gorilla Tag. So all of these things are them going to virtual spaces with their friends to hang out and effectively walk around in this world. So my inclination is that they will grow into this technology the same way we grew into video games, the same way we grew into cell phones, right? Like, I mean, I remember trying to convince my parents to use a cell phone. They're like, well, we have a perfectly good house phone. And then they realized pretty quickly, it's so much more than that. And so it, they became, you know, now addicted to their cell phones, right? Just like everybody else. They're, they're sort of in on this technology. So I think for a lot of people, it's understanding that there will be practical use cases for it. Your kids will age into it both from a, and by the way, like we don't just use sort of this idea of immersive worlds as a, uh, as a play situation. Like we're talking right now on a video call, right? Like this is, so it, it's not just going to be, they're going to need to know about it for both work. Um, I had this conversation with people when they were like saying like, oh, your kids have iPads at, you know, insert age. And it's like, well, yeah, they're going to need to use this technology in their lives as they work. And me, like, it's not that my kids don't play outside or play soccer or do all those sorts of things, but at the same time, they need to understand how this stuff works or else they are going to be behind. I took so many notes, but on page 25, you also mentioned that NFTs will fundamentally shift the way we buy and sell, dot, 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 well, everything. So, Explain to us the buying and selling, because I think that's another aspect that people don't understand, that you you can own the NFT and then you can sell it and what that also implicates and what that means for, you know, on a global scale. Yeah. So for there's a lot of things here. So I think, number one, um, there's the idea of how we just buy and sell and own. Right. Because in the past, like, you know, you buy a digital item, so like a Roblox skin or whatever, and I've seen it happen to my kids where Roblox has a glitch with the game. They lose that forever. But no longer is that the case with an NFT, which has immutable, provable ownership. In fact, you can then take that and eventually sell it down the line regardless, right? It shows that you own it. But like the way we do business changes in a couple of ways. I think, number one, um, for a brand that is trying to target sort of, you know, individual people, you know, it gives you the ability to say like, look, if I buy a John Deere tractor and John Deere wants to do business with me in some way, shape or form, how do they know who owns that tractor? I could have sold it. Maybe I register with an email, maybe not, whatever, right? If there's an associated NFT with it, that's that simple. They can provably target who owns it, right? There's a chip in the John Deere tractor. I tag it. I own it. If I sell the tractor, that person tags it. They own it, right? They can then target. So they could sell mulch to that person. They could try to get that person as a repeat customer. They could try to reach them in various ways. It gives a new level of provable ownership on the physical to digital end. But number two, there's sort of this third party idea, which is, you know, if I, I used to work with Hot Pockets when I was at Nestle, and they did a gaming deal with NRG, like a gaming partner, uh, that it, it, a gaming team that is, you know, really well known and really good at like Rocket League. That's their target audience. Imagine if they wanted to get more precise. Now they're still going to do that because that's, you know, wide scale marketing and there's multiple marketing channels. But imagine they want to target specific gamers. Well, they could say anybody who owns a Fortnite skin, a Pirate Nation NFT, a battle plan from, you know, NFT or is playing battle plan, right? 
uh, by Pixel Vault and Reboot, well, they could target those people very specifically now because they can prove and know which customers are actually engaging. So it changes the way we market. It changes the way we buy. It changes the way we sell. And that idea of ownership uh, changes a lot of things from community building to uh, how you actually interact with your customers on a day-to-day -day basis. What surprised you the most during your research to write this? Like, what, what was one thing that you, I don't know, you have next to your bedside table that you're like, I can't believe, you know, we, we figure this out while doing the research? I think that's a great question. I think one of the things that took us aside was how much we realized the sort of, there's this old phrase, not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that be, can be counted counts. And I remember when I was working for Progressive, certainly, which is a very numbers-driven company, and even Nestle, you look a lot at the numbers, the large data, the demographics, and you think, okay, like, how are we going to program against this? And one of the things that I think we learned increasingly as we were doing the research is there's something that's really hard to quantify about being part of a community and tying with your identity. So, you know, one of the analogies I use is when people have this, you know, digital identity, which, by the way, people already do, they just don't look at it this way like when your friend who is 50 years old who's a huge disney fan posts a picture of themselves at in front of the disney castle and makes it a profile picture that's no different than me making a profile picture of a bored ape or someone making a profile picture of a doodle it's just that person is flexing their disney fandom and what we realized i think going on throughout that was a little surprising at least to me is the actual power of community as it continued to extend out where people weren't necessarily looking at these astronomical floor prices. They were looking at the value of being part of something, you know, similar to somebody who's a fan of a specific sports team. Um, you know, whether it's a, you know, it's whether you're a European football fan, like, right. Like you have something in common or, you know, an example I use, I went to Ohio state. I'm an Ohio state Buckeye. If I'm in the airport and I see somebody in a random airport in the Denver airport wearing an Ohio state shirt, I'm probably going to say something to them. I've never met this person before. And, that aspect of community and identity is something that I don't know if I realized how deep-seated that actually was until we started researching more and more and realizing that there's something here that if you turn a corner and do it right, it doesn't matter if you're Starbucks or the local coffee shop, you can create an arm of people who are fans of your brand the way they're fans of a sports team. Yeah, I mean, that's how I kind of look at, you know, your 1,000 true fans when I, you know, when I help people with their content. It's it doesn't matter how many people are following you. What matters is how many people are actually involved and want to be a part of something. So talking about community, that makes total sense. And we see it all the time, right? So many people buy hoodies with their, you know, their university school and whatnot. And, and, and that's all it is, right? You, there's no other attachment other than, okay, I went to Harvard. There's so many Canadians that wear Harvard sweaters. We never even went, right? So yeah, I, I like that, the, the whole concept of community. And I'm actually thinking it's going to become more and more. It's going to increase more and more. Like I always look at like Facebook groups, but the next evolution of that, because Facebook groups, you know, back in back in the day when I was working in journalism, I joined so many Facebook groups to get contacts, right? Like let's say I was doing a story on moms and kids and I would go into those mommy groups on Facebook. So yeah, that's interesting that you're mentioning community because I think, I think that we're at this point in our lives, right? Like community, people want to connect with more and more people that value or like the same things like they do. Yeah, and one, I think it's a really good point. And I think a couple of things on that. One, there's layers to that because to give an example of cars, like 
Jeep people love their Jeeps, right? They <laughs> they know other people with Jeeps. They love their Jeeps. Well, Jeep can do a couple things here, right? If Jeep has again NFTs issued with their Jeeps, like they could fit at that you know talk about that you know have the data that codes the color, or the year, whatever. Well, you could have entire groups online spin off of people who never would have met each other otherwise, right? I've seen it with Starbucks Odyssey, where I I'm the community lead, where there are people who you know, live on different sides of the country who have become great friends because they both love Starbucks. They joined the program and now they found each other. And so on one hand, you could have the company itself, Jeep, creating a central location and putting value back against these things. They're saying everyone with a Jeep NFT, you know, do this, right? And then they can also have more powerful deals, right? Let's say Jeep people fit a certain socioeconomic status. I, I don't know that. I'm just like saying that hypothetically. Well, then, you know, Delta Airlines might say, well, anybody who has this Jeep NFT just like a credit card, join our program and you'll get like a credit card type miles to, to beat on there because they want to market against those people. Well, then along the same way, like completely independent of Jeep, maybe all the owners of green Jeeps start the green Jeep club. And maybe the red Jeep club is rivals with the green Jeep club and they can start a community that way. So there's sort of levels of the company itself bringing utility against these NFTs. There's something to, you know, third parties doing it and then the community themselves doing it. So you know, and to, to, to put a sort of like a, a bow on your point, I think, you know, I read somewhere, particularly with males, and don't quote me on this because I don't remember the exact study, but something along the lines of like, look, there's depression and loneliness is as bad as very many physical illnesses because a lot of people, especially since COVID, they're remote, don't see and interact with friends as much. But with these digital spaces, just the same way you can program sort of your you can choose, you, you don't, you're not, you used to be limited to like four channels on television. Not anymore. Now you can find whatever you want on Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever. You can find whatever your tribe is anywhere, no matter how niche. And if they have a blockchain-based program, you can connect with them online, prove they're sort of the same fans with affinity, and find and spin up friends. All of my best friends now are people I've sparsely met in person because I've met them through digital spaces because of Web3. And I just see that growing with major brands, small brands, individual brands. And that's what excites me is that human connectivity and that element of community that we'll continue to see grow. I want to go back to your board ape. So your friends were, you know, you, you were saying before your friends were, you know, when it reached $5,000, your friends were like, okay, so you're going to sell it, right? You, you've never sold it. Um, talk to us about that because we we both know a lot of people get into nfts hoping to make a bag hoping to sell for for millions of dollars um what do your friends continue telling you now or any questions your friends ask you now like bro you should have sold this or you know like what's going on in their minds now <laughs> two three years later you still hold this nft yeah i mean some of them do but to me there's such a sentimental value tied to it because Getting that NFT introduced me to, like, I mean, I'll give two examples, like, that are very tangible. You talk about the value of being in this sort of decentralized club of people who, one, I identify with. I'm somebody who's always been really interested in reading and academics and all that good stuff, but I'm also a little degenerate. I like a good joke. I like to gamble. I like that. And that's what that club was. It was very much a group of people who were intelligent thinkers, a lot, at least the ones I've connected with, right? A lot of them but also people who just wanted to mess around and have fun. And I, I always like valued that. And through that, I was able to meet my buddy, Joe, um, Joe Rourke, bunch of bets on, on Twitter, who ended up founding a company, which brought Starbucks to NFTs. And guess what? I'm the community lead at Starbucks. Had I never had my board ape, never would have made that connection. Never would have co-founded DJ network, my media company, never would have started my shows, never would have worked with Starbucks. 
similarly speaking, I met Chris Jordan, Captain Zwingli, my co-host, who you mentioned. We have done 536 straight episodes or something on Monday through Friday. Christmas, New Year's, you name it. Doesn't matter. We don't miss a day. Six days. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that because it's a lot of... On all days, one of us is there, at least co-hosting with a with a guest co-host. But I would say most days we're both there. Uh, I would say like ninety nine percent. Even on the days where you're like, I'm at the airport. I'm like, Steve, take a break. I'm like, <laughs> I'm listening. I'm like, take a break. But no, good for you. I'm like, uh, like it's great consistency. We all know that's that's the key to this. So, congrats. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. And and you know, it's it's I, it's really interesting how that happens too because we just like kept going and at some point we realized we're like we haven't missed a show yet i'm like now we're competitive people are like we're not gonna miss a show (laughs) so um so we've been doing it that long and and you know like vacations like i I remember my family kind of sleeps in we were at disney you could hear the monorail zipping over my head as i walked back and forth around magic kingdom waiting for my family to wake up and you know you know and like again like don't get me wrong like at you know we'll have shorter episodes sometimes we have to miss one where one of us does but point being like we've been consistent but Chris, who I share a lot of ethos with and a lot of sort of uh, crossover with from a personality perspective, I'm always on the same page as him. I met him because I own this monkey picture and we were in the same digital spaces hanging out. And I I have so many stories like that from my ape that it's like, not to say I'll never sell my ape. I don't know. Maybe one day I will. But like at the moment, it's like to me, I remember Josh Ong, who's like somebody I really respect saying this at one point where when it went to like $25,000, people were like, you're crazy. And he said, people think this is crazy. He's like, but to me, this ape is worth more in my hands than it is out of my hands. And, you know, for me, that's the way I still see it. There will come a day maybe when that's not the case. But at least for me, the time being, like, you know, forget all the financial aspects you've gotten from it, the airdrops, the things that have come that have, you know, financially benefited us. Just from a career standpoint, my life wouldn't be where it is without the board ABI club. So to me, that's, that's a sort of a special moment. What advice would you give to these businesses that are still hesitant towards NFTs, the blockchain, you know, what type of advice would you give them? This is going to sound super shilly, but it's my honest advice, which is read the book. So here's why. Anytime there's a new technology, you, it behooves you to learn about it. And you may read the book and say, they're not for my business or I'm not ready right now or the infrastructure isn't there, right? Because right now, the reason why companies like Starbucks and Nike are doing it is because there is some cost entry. There is some regulatory uncertainty. So the large companies can do it. That's how the internet was, right? When I was coding websites in the mid 90s, um, I had to learn HTML and I had to read books on it and there's nowhere to learn it. And if one piece of code was off, then the site crashed. And if my sister got a phone call, it kicked me offline and all these other things, right? Now there's Squarespace and high-speed internet. So we could leave this show today, spin up a Squarespace and have a website up tomorrow, right? NFTs will very much be the same way. So I think for a lot of people, my recommendation would be read the book and understand it. Because, you know, Scott and I read the audiobook. Um, when we were reading the audiobook, we both recorded over the course of two days, like, you know, 12 to 15 hours of recording, but that's with starts and stops or whatever. So really, if you commit yourself to 20 hours of time, roughly or less, you could probably read this book and then you'll have an educated ability to make a decision on what you think about this tech. And again, maybe you still don't like it, or maybe you say you want to learn more about it, but at least my recommendation is always get educated because, you know, I used an example recently where, you know, Blockbuster, uh, is the classic example, right? Blockbuster yeah. didn't acquire uh, Netflix for 
uh, a relatively small cost of $50 million. Now, this is when they're pulling in $5 billion in revenue, right? And they made the decision not to acquire them because they said, quote, the dot-com hysteria is completely overblown. That's from the Blockbuster CEO. In 2000, they didn't make that offer. By 2010, Blockbuster filed for bankruptcy. Yep. So it's, you know, the whole idea that technology doesn't care about your feelings. So learn about it so you understand it because you don't want to be Blockbuster when streaming video takes off. You know, that's how I felt too. Like as a video creator for a long time, I almost felt like I was trying to convince people like you, you should be on video. You should have someone who represents you as the face of your company. You should go online and talk about things. You know what I mean? Like I felt like I was convincing people until like Instagram, TikTok came around. We're like, we're going to do reels. We're going to do videos. And I was like, but this, I've been talking about this, you know? So I agree with you. It's almost like we're here telling you get ahead of the curve. So when the curve comes, you're already in it. You're already involved because there are so many businesses today that are starting to open up a Facebook page, that are starting to think about video. And I would even, you know, I would argue they're 10 years behind. It's, it's, they're late. This is the next thing, right? Um, I have another question here. What advice would you give to someone who is curious about NFTs, but really unsure where to start? Yes, read this book, but what else can people do? That's another, you know, a recurring theme I find within these interviews is that learning about this takes time. Not everyone has this sort of time because they're busy with their nine to fives. They're busy with their kids, yada, yada. Everyone's busy, right? This takes time. And I like to also, you know, I would also like to argue that we went to school, but the learning doesn't stop when you leave school. It's important to continue learning. But Steve, what advice would you give to those who want more information? Where can they go? What other resources or, you know, what helped you start? I, I always say, like, come on Twitter, but, you know, it's hard. Not everyone understands or knows where to go. So what advice would you give? I would say understand yourself to know what type of media content you like to consume mm. and find people through those channels, right? You do short form digestible video, right? Like you will take this interview and you will cut it into inter into individual bite-sized pieces. You will read something and you'll cut it into individual bite-sized pieces. You will take the news and you'll make it really easy to understand. So if that's what someone's into, they're going to go to you, right? If somebody likes long form conversation, you know, I'll give you an example. There's a guy who goes by Jay Brush on Twitter who's a friend of mine, okay? Jay Brush found NFTs because he read my Harvard Business Review article. And he said, okay, this guy's interesting. So then he followed me on Twitter. And then he saw some of the communities I was in. And then he got involved in those. And, so, and then he started attending my space. Now he's incredibly versed, more versed than me in some areas because he found a person in me who he said, okay, I can relate to this guy. He followed me on Twitter. He liked the content he saw. The good news is right now, as there's more mediums coming out, right? Like this book, to your point, first book I know of anything like this. But oh, yeah. Chris Dixon read right own is coming out incredibly good book and by the way we love the chris he wrote a quote for the back of our book the yeah. co-founder of at16z him and and gary and some nobel prize winners they wrote yeah. quotes in the back there and so if you like to read books there's read right own there's our, our book um you know if you like to listen to long-form content you can get on x and you can find some tremendous twitter spaces now there are people like myself and rug radio and others who are doing long-form twitter content you know uh the the nifty nifty uh portal folks right uh if you like short-form video you can get it if you like reading news sites there's places like decrypt and blockworks and, and some great ones so to me it's like understand how you like to consume media then 
just start finding the media sources that are reliable that speak to you. And it's not going to be one size fits all for everybody. But I would always tell someone, I mean, it's the same as anything else. Like, right? You know, when you talk about people being behind, it's like there's going to be a lot of content creators who enter Web3 who see you and say, oh, my God, you've got this great audience and this great video. And it's like, well, you started a couple of years ago, right? And so the best time to start was two years ago. The next best time is right now. And that's what I always tell people. It's like, yes, like we have, you know, 1,000, 2,000 people each morning, which is small in the grand scheme of things. 300,000 annual listeners is not like a mega number, but for a small niche space, it hopefully continues to grow. And so I've seen people say like, oh, my God, I'm getting started and like, you know, there's only 12 people showing up. Well, there was only 12 people showing up for us in 2021, but we kept building. And so I think your point of like finding the content content that you like to consume, and then you're going to naturally find really good people there. There's going to be bumps in the road. You're going to find people you like, you don't like, et cetera. And then just stay dedicated to it. You don't have to do it every night. You don't have to do it all the time, but just staying plugged in is so valuable if you have interest in this world and whether it's a book, long form video or anything, like you're going to be able to find content for it now because- it's so much. I mean, when we came in, it was a it was a uh, you know doggy dog out there. Now there's a ton of great content creators and reliable people you can find. Thank you so much, Steve, for being here. I I do also want to, um, you know the the one thing I noticed too at the end of this book is like okay, there's a section, um, for acknowledgments, and then there were the image credits and all the notes. I'm like, if this, I think, just seeing the notes, like, I just want to show people, like, pages and pages of notes, because you guys really did this homework. You did the research. Um, I'm looking really at this, at this book like a Bible. Like, the like, even reading it, it was like, oh, these are my first three years of being in this space, but now someone's written it for me to remind me what's going on. Um, just congrats on, on this book. Um... I, I can't say enough great things. I'm obviously going to get more copies for friends and family, uh, you know, so instead of me having to explain it to them, I'm just going to give them a book to read. Um, Steve, thank you so much for being here. Um, I always say, and I always end the show by, you know, letting people know, first of all, you guys can go get this book. It's now available on Amazon. So you can go buy it on Amazon or any other bookstore you know just just google the everything token you should find it and i always say steve steve is never going to dm you this is not financial advice steve is never going to tell you what to buy except for this book um you know don't always do your homework we just said it study do your homework invest more than you you know dollar cost average whatever all the terms but i always want to you know tell my audience nor steve or i we're not going to DM you. So make sure that you only click the links that I'm providing down below. I'm going to link the book. I'm going to link your show. Steve does so much incredible stuff. But I, today I did want to talk about the book and NFTs. We'll get you back on, um, you know, to talk about DGen and whatnot. But I will just provide all the reliable links down below. And Steve, any last words, you know, for the audience? Oh, I mean, thank you for having me. What I would say is that if you're not crypto native, it's not a big, scary world. The book will help get you there on that. And if you are crypto native and you're tired of having your friends and family call you crazy, you can say, look, listen to the Harvard guy and the business eye and the entrepreneur, and they'll tell you about this whole world. And our goal is, like I said, just to help bring this technology a little closer to mass adoption so that consumers and businesses can see the benefits. So thank you for having me on and thank you for your leadership in this space as you continue to pump out those videos and really make it understandable for the average person. 
Thanks, Steve. I, I will say, even when I was reading this, your voice was in my head. I was like, I want to get the audio version, but I was like, I hear Steve every time. <laughs> love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you. Thank you.